0: God is always right in everything He does. Now we say that and we're like, yes, but then when we're going through different trials, I know there's a there's one this this week, and you're like, Lord, really is this is this really the right way to do this? I mean, it's hard to see people you love in pain or going through things and we don't always understand what he's doing. And we're prone to often question the things that God allows in our lives, the trials, the setbacks, the intrusions. Lord, are you really in this? How could this possibly be part of your great plan? We're prone to wonder at the way or the means God uses, uh, the tools that he uses in our lives. Peter did this when Jesus went to wash his feet in John chapter 13, Peter said, no, Lord, you know, this doesn't seem right to me. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you can have nothing to do with me. And the Lord said, what I'm doing now, you won't understand, but you will later. And isn't that true of so many of the things in our lives? When they're going on, we don't understand them. We might not even agree with them. But later, we're so glad that we went through that so we could tell somebody else, You'll make it through this. I went through this. You're going to stand. We don't always understand the tools that God uses in our lives or the means or the ways that He works. But God is always intentional in the what, the how, and the where that he uses in our lives. We don't understand because we're finite. Our vision only extends so far. You know, we see the universe, but when they tell us that there are rings, I've never seen those rings around Jupiter. Never, except for on the Jetsons. You know, and they tell us about the shapes and the orbits. I can't see an orbit. Our, Our view only takes a little bit in at a time. We can't see the whole picture. Then we only see the outside of things. I don't see the internal organs. I, and, and then when I do in a movie or a book, I'm kind of grossed out. It's like, ooh, that's in me doing that? You know, we don't see the hearts or the, the kidneys or the livers, those beautiful things. We miss those as we look on the outside. We don't see the thoughts that people have in their minds or their their motivations, why they do what they do. You know, often we think, oh, that's so nice of you to do that. When really the intention was, I did that because I hate you. You know, you're like, oh, how sweet. You can tell I've been with my grandson. We only see the material. We're unable to see the realities of, of angels and demons and heaven and all that is actually going on in this this realm that lives within our realm. We can't even see the future. We don't even know the past except for by the testimony of men. You know, you only know those stories about yourself when you were two. And under because your mother told you, you did this at 12 months. I did? You know, I said hi. We're just so astounded to, to know those things because we don't have a recollection of them. We can't see the origin and we can't see the future. But God, who is righteous, sees all of this. He's always right in everything he does. We are corrupted. So, you know, we, we tend to grade and judge things on a, on a scale. You know, well, I look pretty good next to you, right? I don't know about you. I'm 55, just honest here. And when you look at somebody and they say, I'm 55, you're like, do you have lines where I have my lines? Do you do that? Come on. Yes, you do. We all do. You know, you're kind of like, okay, then this is okay. Then it's all right to have these fine lines on my face, and then you see someone, they're like, oh, I'm 83, and you're like, you don't have any lines. I'm in such trouble. But you know, we kind of are grading ourselves on a curve, aren't we? Like, if it it works for you, then, then I'm gonna be okay, and we judge each other, and we judge ourselves by these fallen standards. We are fallible. We make mistakes in our judgment. We make mistakes in our assessments. We are weak, even when we want to be strong, we're weak. In fact, we're so weak that diets don't work for us because we get hangry. And we don't know God as well as we should. And, and we tend to misjudge him. I, I love the fact that the disciples were so real. They're in this storm They wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Then Martha, in Luke chapter 10, when Mary's just having this wonderful time at the feet of Jesus, Martha bursts in and she looks at the Lord and she says, Lord, don't you care? Now, we can't judge Martha. We can't judge the disciples because how many times have we, ourselves, when we're in a trial, looked up to the heavens and said, Lord, don't you care? I'm perishing, or I'm alone here. What are you doing? But faith tells us that God is right in everything he does. In Romans chapter three, Paul points to the absolute, and I wanna use this word rightness. It's not a word, but it is now. The absolute righteousness or rightness of God in everything he does. But it was absolutely right of God. Justice, love, and mercy all met in Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death for us on the cross, so that now we can enter into it by faith. And it was absolutely right of God to make the infant's way to his presence to his blessing, to all that he is, to greater revelation, to happen through faith. Because faith, unlike anything else, faith proves the veracity of all that God has said in the Bible, of his word. Faith proves the veracity of God's law, that God is righteous in his law, that it's a good law. I mean, wouldn't you agree the law is good, There's no problem. Those standards are good standards. And if everyone could live by those good standards, the world would be an absolutely better place. If in this world we didn't have lying, we didn't have murder, we didn't have covetousness, right? People jealous of each other, competitive. If we didn't have uh, murder, um, adultery, if we didn't have these things, wouldn't, the world be a better place? If we didn't have idols, but we all served God, wouldn't the world be a better place? Yes, it would. So the law is not bad. The law is good. The problem with the law is that we can't keep it. Try as we might. It's just a list of rules, and we can't even live up to it, even though we know those are good rules. Those are good rules. I mean, a good rule would be, Buy all your Christmas presents for everybody you love before December twenty fourth. That would be a good rule, but how many of us can keep it? I don't know about you, but it's like all of a sudden I remember I didn't buy something for you know Uncle Joe. I've got to run out on Christmas Eve and you know be with all those other late people who are buying their presents. You know it's so funny. I one time was hearing Sandy McIntosh speak. And she was saying that she always found, like sometime around New Year's, all the presents that she had hidden in her closet for her kids that she forgot to give them. I was so relieved that somebody else did that too. Do you do that? Like two weeks later, go, whoops. (laughs) I've got to get this to them, especially since it's candy and it won't last. But it proves the veracity or the rightness of God's law. It also proves the veracity of God's righteousness because he did it. According to his righteousness, he did it justly. Faith also proves the veracity of God's plan, that his plan is good. And faith proves the veracity of God's love for men, that you may be justified in your words, speaking to God, and may overcome when you are judged. His absolute rightness in all that he does. When people put the magnifying glass up to God, we're gonna find he was right. He's always right. No doubt, the Romans were confused as Paul saying, it's about faith, you don't need the the law, the works of the law aren't going to get you anywhere. They're like, wait, if you take the law out of the equation and you leave us with faith, doesn't that leave us open to sin? Haven't you had that question? Well, if it's all about faith and I'm just believing, what about the rules? Don't I need to keep the rules? But Paul's assertion is, the more you believe, the more the Holy Spirit will work in you to keep the rules. So that it's not by works of righteousness which you're doing, but the Holy Spirit doing them through you. But there were certain questions that this would bring up. Now, no matter what the question, let me just say this, God has the answer. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask the question. Like, That's a stupid question. And we're always so afraid we're gonna be the one with the stupid question. Ever have a teacher in school that just hated the students to ask questions? Well, I told you. You're like, thank you so much, but I didn't hear you because I was daydreaming about recess (laughs) or about the smashed banana in my lunch. I always hated bananas in my lunch. Why? Because they get smashed and they'd make the peanut butter and jelly taste like banana. That has nothing to do with this study. But I wanted to appeal to you. I know, that was kind of slippery. It's because I love you bunches. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know where this is all coming from. Stop, stop, stop. So there's no embarrassing questions. There's just embarrassing puns. But there's no embarrassing questions to ask. God is not bothered when we ask questions. He wasn't bothered when Job asked questions. He met Job right there in the questions. And he revealed himself to Job so that Job was glad those questions came up. He said, I've heard of you in the ear, but now my eyes have seen. And that's what the Lord wants to do. George MacDonald said, there is nothing that is a greater strength to our faith than when we ask an honest question. You see, when you ask an honest question, you want an honest answer. And the Bible has all the answers to every question. They answer the questions of the soul. So they have questions. In other words, if it's by faith, then why did the God make himself... Um, or reveal himself to the Jews? If it's by faith, why this whole thing with the Jewish nation and pulling Abraham aside, why did he give them the law? What advantage is there to be a Jew? Or what is the profit of, of circumcision? Why did God come up with this thing and have some circumcised and leave others without circumcision? What about the Jews' unbelief, the fact that they don't have faith? Does that nullify the faithfulness of God? I mean, God made all these promises to them but they don't believe them, does that mean they're not going to happen? Can God still fulfill his word even though there's unbelief? Then they asked, if unrighteousness proves that God is right about man's sinful nature, isn't it unfair to judge men as sinners? If, if it's by faith because we can't live up to the law, then why have a law in the first place that we're judged by? If the truth of God increases through my lie, like if I can make up a testimony, I've done that before, it was not good, but if I can make up a testimony, if I help God out by my sin, why am I considered a sinner? Why am I judged a sinner still? If sin highlights the veracity of God's word, shouldn't I sin so I can highlight God's veracity in his word even more? And then the question, and these will all be answered throughout the study, What can demolish boasting, the law, works, or faith? What, what can remove boasting from the equation, from the Christian um, experience? Can the law? Can works? Can faith? And then they had the question, is God the God of the Jews only? Is this relationship by faith? Because honestly, in Paul's time, there were some, the Judaizers, that were teaching that faith was only for the Jews, that the Gentiles still had to go under the law and then come to faith. Is he also the God of the Gentiles? And do we make the law irrelevant through faith? In chapters three through uh, five, Paul, in chapters three through Paul, in chapters three through five, Paul shows the superiority of faith. Why? The why God did it by faith. Again, he does it by faith, number one, to show the veracity of his word about men, to show the truth. When he says that all men are sinners, it's because all men are sinners. It's because God knows the heart of every man and every woman. Man became irretrievably corrupted in the Garden of Eden, irretrievably. There, there was no way that man could save himself. He disobeyed God when he took the suggestion of Satan. He obeyed Satan because he disobeyed God. And Satan was the one eat the fruit. And when they ate the fruit, they were obeying Satan. And they forfeited all that God had given them, the world, Uh, The animals, the trees, everything that God had given to man, they gave to Satan because they went into slavery under Satan because they obeyed him rather than God. And at that time, the spirit of man, the part that was salvageable, died. And we were irretrievably lost. Yet God created men with a choice that salvation and love might be genuine. Because, you know, you might say, well, why allow evil in the garden? Because without a choice, love is not real love. It's not, there's nothing to authenticate it. You know, if I love Brian because he's the last man on earth, that's not really love. But if there are other men (laughs) right now, you know, I, I, I don't think that, Um, any other man would have me at this age, but so the the choice is kind of gone, you know, for, for me, but I still love him. But you know, the choice to love him was a choice because there were other choices and he was chosen. It authenticated the love. So the choice in the garden authenticated, authenticated, but man chose against God. And so God still leaves it a choice. That that love, that faith is authenticated by our choice, by the either or. So when we make a choice, we're authenticating our faith. And this is what God did. But God knew that man would only grow more and more corrupt because of sin. He was irretrievably, as we said before, lost. He couldn't save himself. And and God knows, God knows the condition of men. So Paul is going to quote from Psalm 5, verse 9, Psalm 10, Psalm 14, Psalm 36, Psalm 53, Psalm 140, and Isaiah 59, 7 through 8. He's going to bring all these things together, all these scriptures, like a good rabbi, like a good teacher. He's going to pull from all these sources of the Old Testament to show that God has always known that man is corrupt, that the Jews have never been righteous according to the law, because the law is not only external, but it's internal, and nobody has lived up to it. So he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who even seeks after God. They have All gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. You're not the exception. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. You see, the Jews were trying to say that they were more righteous than the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, no, they are corrupt. All men are corrupt. So God has put all men under the condemnation of sin that he might save all men by faith. So faith shows that God is right in his word. He is right in his assessment in the Bible of the condition of men, that men need a savior, that every man needs a savior, that no person can save themselves. So what advantage has the Jew then? Well, Paul says it was the fact that he was entrusted with the law. In verses one through four, God gave them the righteous standard, showed them this is what righteousness looks like. God also gave Israel his promises. All the promises were given to Israel. They also had the presence of God, the temple, the priest. They had all of these advantages and yet even with all of these advantages, they could not keep the law. They themselves with every advantage could not keep the law. There are a lot of frustrated Christians out there We have all these advantages, but because they are trying to do it in their own strength and they're living by shoulds and should nots, they're always living under condemnation because none of us can keep the law. It is only as we, by faith, look to Jesus and all he is that he works in us to fulfill the law. You see, the secret is to give Jesus greater dominion in our own life to look more and more at Jesus. So we see that Israel, even with all of these advantages, could not keep the law. In fact, in the history of Israel, we find that they're always going back under bondage. They're always falling. They're always sinning. They're always under the curse. So God working by faith is proof that God knows the heart of men, that they cannot do it. They cannot try as they might with every advantage. Man still cannot save himself. Man cannot be good. Yet faith also proves the veracity of God's law. As we said before, the law is good. Paul will say this a little bit later in Revelation. He said, the law is good. My problem is that I'm sold under sin, that I'm just naturally inclined to sin. The law's not bad just because I can't keep it. It's a good standard. Faith does not nullify God's law, it upholds it. It says, this is good. And by faith, we see that Jesus fulfilled the law as it was meant to be lived out. In Isaiah, God says, my servant will come and make my law glorious. He will uphold it. He will live by it. He will show how beautiful it is. And when you look at Jesus' life and how loving and how compassionate and how healing he was to people, we can look and say, wow, it is good. This is a good way to live the way Jesus did. You know, when you try to be like Jesus, isn't it frustrating? I remember Braden wearing a WWJD bracelet. You know, what would Jesus do? He condemned all of us, and at the end, he got condemned. I remember his brother going, "You, I, that was a lie, Brayden. That was a lie. And Brain's like six going, oh, 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 I'm just going to take this bracelet off. And we were all so happy he did. <laughs> but you know, the fact is none of us is Jesus. Jesus alone lived the law perfectly. Nobody else can do what Jesus did. Nobody else can go to the cross and be utterly forsaken by God but Jesus. Jesus paid it all. We can't live the righteous life that he lived. But he lived an absolutely righteous life. He lived the law. It's a good standard. It is the standard of what is right. As Paul said, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by... The law is the knowledge of sin. So the law shows us how unright we are, and yet Jesus fulfilled it. So it shows the veracity of God's law. It's a good law. It's a good law. Faith proves the veracity of God's righteousness. Verses 21 through 22. God is absolutely righteous. As we see, as we look at the law, here's the standard of righteousness. It's a good standard of righteousness. And he still holds those standards of righteousness. He hasn't changed. He is still good. He is still right. But how can God keep his righteous standard and still forgive man? That's the question. How can he be righteous? You know, we'll have people that will say, well, why doesn't God just forgive sin? You know, why why, why this penalty thing? If God just overlooked sin without the penalty being paid, he would no longer be righteous. God must maintain his righteousness because he is righteous. This is just who he is, and he cannot work against his character. God is righteous, and he does righteously. So how can a righteous God keep the standard of righteousness and yet forgive men? How can he do this? Because sin must be paid for. There must be atonement. Well, first of all, Jesus met the standard of righteousness. He lived an absolute righteous life. Then he paid the price for our sin. He was the only man who ever lived who could pay the price for sin. He is the only man throughout all of history who lived absolutely righteously. He was an absolutely free man. And the only one who could free those who were enslaved. I think of it, and this is really um, kind of barbaric in terms of how great what Jesus did is. But I remember playing freeze tag when you were a kid, and you know you'd be frozen by the freezer, and you're just you know having to freeze. But the person who was still free could go around, and they could tag you, and you'd be free again till the freezer got you. Remember how great that game was? No. But that's what Jesus has done. He was free, absolutely free. As he said in John 8, if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. We're told in Hebrews chapter 3 that God built the house. And Moses was a slave in the house. He was under the law and he was over other slaves. But Jesus is the son or the heir of the house. And he, as the heir of the house, can set the slaves free and make them children of God. Because the son, the builder, has more glory than the slave in the house. And that's what Jesus has done. He has given us his freedom. He has given us his righteousness that he lived. He lived an absolutely righteous life. And then he wrote out his will. And in his will at his death, his righteousness would become our righteousness. Then he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, that righteousness that belonged only to him became ours by heirs of faith. And now we only need believe in the righteousness of Jesus, his sacrifice for us, and we're set free. But then it said he rose again for our justification. What does that mean? It means that when he rose again from the dead, it showed that he was absolutely righteous and that his sacrifice was accepted by God. On the day of atonement, the high priest, one day a year, would go into the holy of holies with bells on his um, on his robe, and the people would listen. The priests would listen in the holy place outside the holy of holies to make sure he was still alive as he was offering the blood of atonement for the whole nation of Israel. If he himself had any sin that had not been taken care of by sacrifice, he would die because he was in. Uh, the representation of the mercy seat of God and the bells would ring. Uh, the bells would stop ringing and it would go silent and they would know that you know, they'd have to get the dead priest out of the Holy of Holies. And so when the high priest came out of the Holy of Holies, the people would all breathe a sigh of relief because they would know that the sacrifice for their sins was accepted and they could live. In the same way, when Jesus came up from the grave, it showed that his sacrifice that he offered to God was accepted to God. That our sins are indeed forgiven. That we have been justified by the cross and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are free indeed because the Son has set us free. So it proves the absolute righteousness of God. Jesus met the standard. But God's righteousness is also attested to to, by the prophets. God's wrath against sin was poured out on Christ. And it will be poured out on those who refuse the atonement provided by Jesus. All that God spoke... Through his prophets, that he would do in Psalm twenty-two, Isaiah fifty-three, Zechariah twelve ten, that the Messiah would suffer and die for sins. God has done. God has absolutely done. God's righteousness, God's word have been upheld. But it also proves, faith proves, the veracity of God's plan, that it's a good plan. It's a plan that's generous. It's for Jew and Gentile alike. It's a plan that highlights God's grace. In this plan, we see God's great grace that he accepts sinners and he qualifies sinners by grace and is able to change them and bless them through the venue of grace as they believe. We also see God's generosity as he pours out this grace upon us, the wealth, the riches of his grace. The word all have uh, sinned when we come to verse 23 that says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word sin is the Greek word harmatia, and it means to miss the mark. Those of you who used to listen to my dad know that he loved this word, harmatia. And he would talk about how there was a game called sinner or harmatia that was played in those times by the Roman soldiers. And it would be a great big um, bullseye, a great big target. And if you didn't hit the arrow right in the middle, if it was just off to the side by like a quarter of an inch, if it was off by an inch, or if you missed the target board altogether, you were a harmatia. And it didn't matter how far you missed the sinner. Any miss of the sinner made you a harmatia. Well, Paul says that the law is the bullseye. And all of us... We've shot our arrows in life and we've all missed the mark. Some have missed the mark by a quarter of an inch and some have like, it was like they just turned around and shot the opposite way, missed it by a mile. But yet we're all Harmatia. And God has allowed us all to miss the mark that all might come by faith the same way as Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is one way to the Father, No man comes to the Father, but by me. And so we've all missed the mark that we all might come through faith. This is God's ultimate plan. And faith proves that the plan of God is the right plan. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith, verse 22, in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference." Faith works for all and is the only way that God can offer salvation to all men. Faith is available to all. Faith is for all. In other words, faith benefits anyone who believes. It's for all. And then it is on all who believe. Faith gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ to anyone who believes. Don't you love that word anyone and everyone? Every time I, I read John three sixteen, whosoever, and I can say, I am that whosoever. Or if anyone believes, I am that anyone. I, I, just, I just love the fact that I'm, I'm in. I remember Mary Peoples talking years ago about going to different churches. She was um, just newly saved, and she had um, kind of a naughty mouth and a naughty demeanor. Uh, and she was going to different churches, and when she would go to the church, they would come to her and say, um, you're really not a right fit for this place. I don't think you should come back. And so somebody said, look, I know a place that accepts anybody, I'll take you to Calvary Chapel. <laughs> and she went to what was then the Thursday Night Women's Fellowship, it's now become the Tuesday Night. And she went, she sent the group, she, she did her regular answers, she spoke the way she always spoke, And afterwards, the woman handed her her homework and said, fill it out and come back next week. And Mary looked at her and said, you mean I'm in? And she said, if that's what you want to call it, do your homework and come back next week. And Mary's like, you want me here? And the lady was, do your homework and come back next week. But you know, don't you love it? Faith, we're in. We're in because we believe that Jesus did what he did. It's that simple. All we have to do is believe that what has been done has been done, and we're in. Is that just so glorious? That's God's plan for us. And anyone, it works. It shows that God's plan works. No other plan works. Your plan of salvation, it doesn't work. You know, how many of you, let's just raise our hands for fun. How many of you have had plans that didn't work? Okay, yay! I've had so many plans that didn't work, mainly because Brian doesn't cooperate. (laughs) There's always one that doesn't cooperate. You know, when you've got a family of six, counting, you know, myself, and a dog, if you could do seven, there's always someone who doesn't cooperate with a plan. And they throw the whole plan off, you know? There's always, you, you have a surprise party, there's always somebody that snitches to the person who's supposed to be surprised. There's always that element of plans that don't work. But God's plan works to all, for, on, uh, for all, on all who believe. God's plan is according to his grace, verse 24. He has done it all. Grace says God's done it all, not because we deserved it, because we didn't, but he has qualified us for salvation. He has justified us. He put us in a lineup for salvation. He said, they're in because I'm in. Because he did it all. Because we know the right person. We're, we're in. I've told you this story before, but I remember you know, not having dinner, heading for the baptism, and saying to my dad, we, don't, we haven't eaten. And my dad said, don't worry about it, baby. You're with me. And we went down to the baptism, and there were, in those days, they would do the fire rings down in Del Mar, and people would bring their food down. And my dad would walk among the fire rings. (laughs) Kind of like Jesus in Revelation, I guess. But he'd walk among the fire rings and go, man, I smell something good. And all of a sudden, like six women would come running up to him. You know, Chuck, you want ribs? You want a hamburger? You want a hot dog? All this food. And he'd be like, take your pick, baby. (laughs) Now, they didn't know me, this little kid that was hanging on to Chuck Smith. I was qualified because they wanted to feed him. Because they loved Chuck. But I got in because I was a daughter of Chuck. He was my qualification, he was my food source. I just had to be with him. So Jesus is our qualification, he's our food source. We're in because Jesus is in. He did it. And we just have to hang out with him. And we get all the benefits we get the food, we get the blessing. He justifies us. He qualifies us. And faith puts us right in with him and justifies us. He qualified us. He redeemed us. He bought us back from the world. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the talent. We couldn't free ourselves, but he did it. He did it. He and God set forth Jesus to be the payment or propitiation for sin. He's the exact right price to pay our debt. In Romans 6.23, and we're going to get to that um, before the end of this year, it says that the wages of sin is death or the price of sin is death. Sin is not free. It is not free. I think of sin like the casino that keeps giving you chips but keeps a record of every chip it gives you. And there's not only that you have to pay them back, but they're going to charge you interest. That is what sin does. It takes you deeper. It makes you greater in debt than you ever, ever realized. And you can never, ever, ever, ever pay the debt that it exacts upon you. But Jesus, Jesus paid it all. Then Paul lets us know that Jesus has always been the basis. Faith has always been the basis by which God reckoned men righteous it 's always been about faith in Hebrews, going back to Hebrews chapter four we 're told that all of these people came out of Egypt. All of these Jews came out of Egypt. They were all given the law, but we 're told that many of them died. Most of them died in the wilderness because of unbelief. The only two that we know of that made it through the wilderness are Joshua and Caleb. Because why? They believed God's promises. They believed God's word. Always the basis of salvation has been by faith. And God was able to justify those In the Old Testament, by faith, because he knew he was sending Jesus, and he was already laying the sins of Abraham, the sins of David, of everyone who believed on Jesus. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced to see it. I believe that day happened in Genesis chapter 22, when God told him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. That's the day that he sought. God finally proves the veracity of his love for man by faith. Faith. He makes it so easy, you can't miss it. Faith. John 3.16, God did not want anyone to perish, but that all might come. All might be saved through faith in Christ. Christ. God was moved in his compassion to save man, and he made it by faith, so it could be to any and to all who would simply believe. No limits, no limits because of heritage, no limits because of location, no small print. Oh, you live in the wrong place, can't be saved after all. Oh, you're related to him? Well, sorry. No, doesn't matter heritage, good or bad location, education, intelligence, or your wealth, or your skill, or your talent. He made it by grace through faith so that anyone could be saved, a child or a person on their deathbed. He made it by faith so that his grace could be highlighted. There'd be no boasting from men. Well, I did this. What did you do to get saved? Have you ever been at a party where people did this? What did you do to get invited? I remember being at this swank party in Washington, D.C. And you know why we were there? Brian did the wedding of the girl who, who put it together, the event coordinator. And everyone kept coming up to our table because Bruce Willis was near us, Muhammad Ali was there. Um, and they kept going, what, what did you do to get here? And I'm looking at them like, I'm the wife of the pastor that married the girl that planned this event. And they're like, oh, Everybody else, you know, they paid like $1,000 for their ticket or they gave or they were like, they, they really did do something tremendous. And there I am. I'm married to the pastor that, you know, did the wedding for the girl who coordinated the event, who you don't see because she's still coordinating. You know, and we're up at the best table with, with, with famous people who I didn't know, but we were there. And I was wearing a borrowed St. John knit suit with borrowed shoes and a borrowed purse. I mean, nothing was mine, not even the earrings. It was, you know, it, I was there. It, God qualifies us. No small print, no boasting. No boasting, well, I'm here because, you know, no. No boasting, because I wore St. John. You know, it's borrowed. I mean, it was so sad. I had to give it back like Cinderella and the pumpkin and the mice. (laughs) But it's so grace can be highlighted, no boasting from men, all glory to God. So we get together and say, why are you in? Jesus, me too, ha, 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 you know? It's not by works of righteousness, but Jesus, it showcases God's amazing grace shown through Jesus to forgive any and all sin through Jesus to send his only beloved son, to provide the payment needed, to bless us through Christ with all the rewards that Jesus alone merits. And it's generous. It's so generous because as it says in John 1:1, through Jesus, we get one blessing after another. It just keeps coming. In conclusion, God can be thoroughly trusted. He can be thoroughly trusted. He can be trusted because his word because of his law, because of his righteousness, because of his plans, our good plans, righteous plans, because of his love. He has saved you. And as Paul brings out in Philippians, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. You see, it started by faith, and it increases by faith. And it will get us to heaven all by faith. It's never about our works. It's never about our merit. From beginning to end, it's about believing in God and putting our trust in him. And what we are to do as believers is to work on increasing our trust in Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We look at Jesus. We consider Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. We study Jesus. We pray, Lord, let me love you more. Let me see you more. Let me give myself even more to you. This is what faith does. And so we want to give ourselves even more to faith. Whatever you're going through, maybe you don't understand what God is doing right now. You're like, Lord, are you sure? You know, this doesn't seem right. Let me tell you, even as God's plan through faith was right, his plan right now for you is right. And by faith, you can even enter into the plan that he has for you. You can say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I know. I know your word is true. I know that you're absolutely righteous. I know that your law that you gave me is good. I know that your plans are good. I know that you absolutely love me. So Lord, I'm gonna put this situation, I'm gonna put that situation. You've already saved me by your grace and you will get me through this by your grace as I believe and trust in you. Again, from beginning to end, it's about faith. Let's pray. Lord, we pray in response to all that you have done, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Lord, that we might see you. Lord, that we would not try to merit or earn what has already happened, what has already been done for us. Lord, that we would just receive it and believe it and live in it. Set us free. Set us free by grace through faith. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.